Blog Talk Radio. to the latest edition of Cinnamon Noir. This is Kimberly and Renee, and I'm joined by my co-host, Candace Frederick. Uh Happy Sunday, Candice. Happy Sunday. All right. So we have a great show planned for you all today. Um, in the second half, we're going to be talking with Gina Prince-Bifewood, who is an amazing director, and right now she is the co-creator and writer, director, producer on Shots Fire, which is one of our favorite shows on television right now. Um, we talked about it, I think, on our last podcast, how obsessed we are with the show and how much we love it. So she's going to be joining us. Um, before that, we're going to be chatting about Wonder Woman, which opens, I believe, June 2nd. Um, there's a lot of hype surrounding this movie, and we're just going to talk about, you know, what the success or failure of this film kind of means for women in Hollywood. Um, but to get us started, um, I'm going to be reviewing Everything, Everything, which is a film that opened on Friday. It is based on a young adult novel written by Nicole, I think Nicola Yoon is her name. Um, the film stars Amanda Sandberg, who I am obsessed with, love her. Um, I think we first meet her back when she was in The Hunger Games with Rue. Um, and Anika Noni Rose, who is also one of my absolute faves, um, and it's directed by a black female director named Stella Mangi. And I think I read somewhere that this is the only studio film that will be released in 2017 that is directed by a black woman, which is kind of insane because it's 2017. Um, but, yeah, so basically uh, the film surrounds um, Amanda's character, Madeline, who is, I think she just turns 18 in the film, she has this immunodeficiency syndrome that kind of requires her to stay in the house. Um, she's kind of like the girl in the bubble. Um, her mother is a doctor, so she has, you know, kind of fashioned their house so that no germs come in, none, nothing can affect this girl at all. Um, the only people that she sees are her mother, her nurse, and her nurse's daughter. So, like, her entire life um, surrounds surrounded by these four people, or these three additional people. Um, we find out in the movie that her father passed away when she was really young, so it's just her and her mother and her nurse. Um, and then the boy next door kind of arrives, this new neighbor in town, and they communicate basically um, through text messaging. Um, she first sees them through the window, and, you know, they exchange notes and things like that. And it's a love story. Of course, she falls in love with him, and it's just her trying to navigate this first love when she's literally trapped inside her own house and unable to have any, you know, physical contact with him. Um, I really enjoyed the film. I wanted to read the book beforehand, but, you know, life gets in the way, so I didn't actually get a chance to um, read the book. 
But I don't think that, you know, took away from the story at all. For, for me, it didn't. Um, like I said, I love Amanda Stenberg. She is one of my favorite young actresses. Um, you know, I feel like this film could have been overly sweet and just too cutesy. You know, it kind of lends itself to that, but it doesn't go there at all. Um, the guy um, who plays the neighbor, his name is Nick Robinson. He plays a guy named um, Ollie, so he's kind of like this, you know, he wears all black, this kind of brooding, moody kind of guy, um, kind of like the bad boy. But he has some issues that he's dealing with in his own family, which, you know, so his time that he communicates with Madeline is kind of his escape as well. Um, mm-hmm. Anita Lee Rose is amazing as always. Her character is very complicated. She, like I said, she's a doctor, so she understands what's going on with her daughter um, medically and just tries, like, really hard to, to keep her safe and keep her protected. Um, she understands the struggles that she's going through because she is kind of quarantined, but her primary goal is to keep her daughter safe at all costs, so that kind of causes drama between her and her daughter and her daughter wanting to, you know, experience life and deciding whether or not it's worth risking it all, literally her entire life for you know, this relationship and this friendship with this guy. So um, if you get a chance, I think you should definitely check it out. Again, it's a really good film. Um, Stella Mangi, she also directed Gene of the Joneses, which came out maybe last year, an independent film. Mm. And so this is her first big studio film, which is awesome. Um, hopefully she'll get more opportunities like this to direct. So I'm, I'm excited to see where her career goes as a director as well. No, that's um, great. I first of all, I'm really, really happy to see other women, black women directors coming to the forefront. Um, too often, we see the same names over and over, or if it's just like one or two that will just re, they'll just recycle and they'll just only kind of talk about those two directors. There is a need to really. Um, make that narrative a lot more accurate in that there are so many uh, black female directors out there that definitely deserve as much platform as some others are getting. So I'm happy to see others kind of breaking through the mold. Um, I have actually not, I'm not familiar with this director, um, but from what you said, it sounds like I need to be. Um, So happy about that. Um, and I also love Amanda. I love Amanda Stenberg and happy to see her leading. I, I'm hoping to see her lead more films. Um, what's interesting about, because um, I kept on hearing about this like over the last maybe couple months, but more aggressively over the last couple weeks. And I haven't heard like really anyone Talking about it when I say anyone, particularly in the in the black community or black media outlets, I haven't seen a whole lot of um, you know information about it or reviews or anybody kind of really hyping it up. And I didn't know where that came from. Is it because um, you know the director is is a relative unknown or? Um, I don't know what it was, but it was interesting that I wasn't really, like, feeling a lot of support for this movie. And like you said, it's a major it's a major studio film. So, um, yeah, I didn't know what that was about. Did you notice that as well? 
Yeah, I wasn't really sure what it was about either. Like, I was tracking it just because I am such a big fan of Amanda, so I was, like, very excited mm-hmm. to see what it came out and everything. But it kind of mm-hmm. just, um, like, it kind of popped up. I was like, oh, it's opening next weekend. <laughs> it's not like mm-hmm. I had a lot of, of media attention or, like you said, saw a lot of different outlets covering it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I did, I did see the one article for IndieWire where they talked about, I think there are 16 mm-hmm. films directed by women this year that will be released um, from major mm-hmm. studios, and she is the only black woman who has a film. Wow. Um, wow. So that was the of that article. But, like, yeah, I haven't seen a whole lot about it, so I'm interested to see how well it does numbers-wise at the box office this weekend. But it's a really mm-hmm. good film. Like I said, it, this could be, like, one of those overly sappy <laughs> teenage love <laughs> stories. But it never mm-hmm. really goes in. Like it's, I, you know, I was okay watching it. I felt, you know, good about it. I was rooting for the characters. It wasn't, it wasn't too, too much, you know. Even though I can be a fan of too much, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. And the yeah, no, good. That, no, that's good. I know um, that was one of my, one of my impressions of it. I was just like, oh, is this going to be kind of like a Nicholas Sparks type of thing with, it's fine if you're into the Nicholas Sparks movies. Um, and I like the idea of um, just, you know, a woman of color as a love interest in the leading role. So um, I I was swayed more by that than my own, like, you know, isn't she going to be another type of, like, sappy film? I was, since we're in such a dearth of films that get any, that even get attention like that, I was happy just to see it. I was happy to see the variety of narratives. I'm always talking about that. That, um, And also just, just as I'm talking, Travell Anderson of the LA Times just shared his piece on um, uh, on the director, his interview with the director, Stella Meggie. Um, and so she actually got, um, she had earned an Independent Spirit Awards nomination. I'm not sure for which film. Um so she has apparently been around for a while. So glad that she's getting her shine and also check out his interview to find out more information about her and what she has um, coming up. Um, we just retweeted it in case um, anyone wants to check it out. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I feel like someone just tweeted how we needed more coming-of-age stories. With, and we've talked about that. We need more coming-of-age stories with um, young black characters, especially black mm-hmm. women, is not something that we see a lot of. And so I think this is mm-hmm. a good film to add to that canon because, you know, she's, I think she turns 18 in the film. Um, and, again, mm-hmm. trying to navigate this being sick and wanting a life and wanting to glow out and explore when it could literally, you know, kill her and trying to navigate mm-hmm. what, what's with it and how you want to, to live your life, like what does it mean to live your life? Is she really living her life if she's shut in this house 24-7 for the past 17 years, you know? So it's a really good film. I hope people will go out and see it and support, you know, the cast and the filmmaker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the acting was good and everything. Yes, the acting was great. Um, Amanda always delivers, and I'm – I think that the mother character is one that you could, she's a complex character, so you could have some feelings about her sometimes in the movie, but I feel like because of Amika, and she just brings such depth and, like, 
you you want to root for her, you want to like her, even when she does things that you're like, come on now, like, you know. <laughs> so I just want to the cast. Definitely love the cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. uh, well, moving on to our next topic, um, I think January, oh, January, huh? June 2nd, <laughs> the highly anticipated Wonder Woman film opens nationwide. And I feel like we have been talking about or hearing about this film for years. <laughs> like, I feel like it's been, mm-hmm. people have been talking about it, people are looking forward to it, people are ready for it. And anytime people hype up a film like that, I always get so nervous because it's like you're putting all of your eggs in this one basket. Like, is this going to be the film that changes X, Y, Z? So we just wanted to take a little bit of time to kind of discuss what this film or how important this film is and what will it mean for, you know, women in front of the film, up in film. So, Candice, I'll Mm -hmm. let you start us off with your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Before this movie was greenlit, everyone kept on saying, when are we getting a Wonder Woman movie? Why didn't we have that years ago? Um, There's no real answer to that except, you know, Hollywood's misogyny, (laughs) Hollywood sexism. That's, you know, the general um, response to everything. Um, And I do think that, you know, anytime a movie like this, and when I say that, like a movie that um, is led um, by, you know, someone from a marginalized community, whether it be a woman or whether it be um, a person of color, whether it be a woman of color, um, then it becomes, okay, what is this movie going to mean to said community and to said community's involvement in, say, Hollywood, something like that. So we talk about that stuff all the time. Um, the interesting thing with Wonder Woman, we in the beginning there was so much hype that we needed a movie, we needed this movie, and once the movie was greenlit, it almost seemed to have disappeared. Like, oh, we're going to do this. But there is a very stark contrast to the marketing strategy around Wonder Woman and the marketing strategy around, say, like, any other superhero movie ever. <laughs> so that, that I think has been um, uh, an area of frustration for me because I'm just like, well, why is it that we haven't been inundated with 45 different featurettes and TV clips and um, interviews all over the place on every single talk show and just in your face all the time till you are exhausted by it. We, we didn't get that with Wonder Woman. And honestly, I, I I kid you not, like a couple, it, it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago, like two weeks ago, that I realized that it was even coming out on June 2nd. June 2nd is next week. So yeah. it's really crazy because I felt like I had like Batman versus Superman or all the Batman movies or Superman or uh, Spider-Man movies. I have those like tattooed into my brain when they're coming yeah. out, who's in them who's not in it, you know, just every little piece of information because it's shoved down my throat every single day, daily. So, like, I hear about Spider-Man all the time. That movie's not coming out for a long time. <laughs> like, um, you know, but I, but the fact that Wonder Woman is literally, like, tomorrow and we don't hear about it to the degree that we're hearing about all these other male-led franchises 
is problematic. And I just hope, and a lot of other people are talking about this, that I hope that because of its um, marketing strategy or lack thereof, that if that impacts the box office sales, negatively, then I hope that they're not, they're not just going to be like, oh, see, nobody want, want, wants to watch it, you know, nobody, there's no audience for it, blah, 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 because, you know, Hollywood is good for that. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that that's the thing that kind of makes me nervous. Um, mm-hmm. Although I will say, I think it showed at Cannes or somewhere, it showed recently in the reviews I've seen, or at least the tweets I've seen, rather, have been overwhelmingly positive. But that's critics, you know, they're, you know, and critics are, are, are privy to information that general audience doesn't get, and they're privy to these spaces that the general audience doesn't get. And so if I can't just turn on my TV at any given time, because I know I can turn on my TV at any given time and see a commercial on any, like, male franchise movie at any, you know, any time I turn on the TV, I just hope. And, you know, the general audience is very, um, they are very encouraged by, you know, information that's shoved down their throats, even if it's bad. You know, Batman versus Superman was a terrible movie, but it was known, and that's why it did fairly well, <laughs> given mm-hmm. the fact that it was crap. <laughs> so, you know, um, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it, and, like, like, maybe two days ago I found out that Robin Wright is in it. Like, why am I just finding out that Robin Wright is in Wonder Woman? Like, this is crazy. Right. Like, Robin Wright is like a Academy Award-nominated actress who probably has a fairly significant role in it, and nobody is talking about that. Nobody's – like, I I know – who everyone is in like all the other stupid <laughs> male franchise movies because not only did they have group interviews on TV, they had like individual interviews on TV. Like there, there was no escaping it. There were like McDonald's like advertising. There was, it was everywhere there. You couldn't go anywhere without it. And so I just feel like it's just very, very modest um, advertising behind it. Um, and it also has a woman director. So there's also that. It's woman-led and it's woman-directed. Um, and mm-hmm. in Hollywood standards, that can be a double whammy, sadly. So. Yeah. Um, everything that you said. It, <laughs> I'm kind of shocked that it's coming out so soon. <laughs> Although, like I said, mm-hmm. I've heard about it since 2015, maybe. But then it kind of mm-hmm. died down, and now it's like it's it's back. Um, yeah, I saw the trailer for it in the theater actually today during everything, everything, and mm-hmm. I I'm excited about it. You know, I'm not the comic book aficionado; <laughs> it's not really my mm-hmm. thing. But I am excited about it because it's so rare that we see a female um, woman leading this type of film. And I am very concerned about everything you say that, like, if it doesn't do well or if it doesn't do, you know, what people think it should do or pull the numbers that people think it should, it's going to be, oh, well, you know, this woman directed this film with this 
female-centric cast, and no one wants to go see it. Mm-hmm. And again, negating mm-hmm. the fact that despite the fact that we've known it's coming, the publicity for it has been lackluster, to be honest, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, it just kind of popped up, and it's going to be here in a week. So, <laughs> again, is that by design? Is it just neglect on their part? I think it all has to do with, like, the fact that it's women. <laughs> like, if people don't mm-hmm. take it, it's not being taken as serious because of who's starring in it and who's directing it and the fact that those are both women, in my opinion. Because, again, mm-hmm. I don't know about all of these, um, or I don't watch all of the the Batmans and the Spider-Mans, but I know all the dates when they're coming out. I know who's in them, mm-hmm. who's doing this, who's doing that, mm-hmm. who's directing them, mm-hmm. and everything. Everywhere. You can't escape those films. Right. And I just wish that, mm-hmm. you know, this film, this female-centric film, got that same kind of annoying, <laughs> you know, press mm-hmm. where it was just in your face all the time. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like, I mean, I'm also hearing, and which is just really silly and problematic in its own sense, people saying, oh, you know, maybe, you know, because of what it is, um, studios are having a hard time trying to figure out how to market it. I'm just like, you can literally do the exact same marketing strategy that you do for every other superhero franchise. Like, I don't, what is the mystery? (laughs) Why is this such a challenge? I mean, we say, you know, I have the same complaint when we're talking about, oh, you know, Hollywood is trying to um, figure out how to handle its lack of diversity. I mean, it's not actually brain science. It's just, I mean, like lack of science, it's just hire more people of color, more people from other communities. Like, that's the answer. So, next question. (laughs) Like, I, I just don't understand why... Like, because like, I've been talking about this a lot on, on social media, and this tends, this is some of the responses I'm getting. Like, oh, you know, it could be just something. It could just be just not knowing how to market. Like, like they're marketing something that is like, I don't know, like something completely unheard of. <laughs> um, it's it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it, it is because ideally anyone that likes the this type of film that that's who you're marketing to do it the same way you do Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that it's a woman or the director is a woman shouldn't be that big of a like an issue other than you have maybe more people that you can market to because now you can also direct it towards women. But it's I don't mm-hmm. know, it's kinda of crazy. I feel like it should be an opportunity to expand as, as opposed to them finding it more limiting or more difficult. But again, if you don't think outside the box, if your box is, you know, 24 to 44 white male, that's your box, then, you know, Mm -hmm. you do. And if you you yourself are age 24 to 35 white male, um, you you might have a difficult, maybe have a difficult time um, marketing to people outside of that demographic. But also, why is your marketing team strictly white male <laughs> like right. then there's you know this is everything just leads to other questions i'm like well why is this even a thing what why is you know um and one another thing that pe- that other um people have been saying is that one woman somebody i was talking to on twitter was just like well i think 
you know, people might be worried because of the reaction about the female Ghostbusters movie. I'm like, wow, I don't know what that has to do with anything. (laughs) I mean, no, it didn't do very well, and I didn't really care for the movie. It wasn't awful, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think it was great. Um, But what does it have to do with this? Like, why is that dictating your strategy for this? And that was, you know, the, the... female Ghostbusters movie, is a, it was a remake. It was um, something that would be considered, quote-unquote, a risk. Wonder Woman seems like a no-brainer. One, it was already a request by its fans. And two, um, it's already an established character from years ago. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I am perplexed. Yeah, and I think I saw on one of those morning shows that this is like the 75th anniversary of Wonder Woman as a character. Like, mm. that, wow. like that's part of your angle. Like, that should be everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. <laughs> Radio silence, yeah. absolutely nothing. So I feel like they're missing a huge opportunity with that alone, like just the people, mm-hmm. like the historical aspect of it people will be lined up to see this film or should be lined up to see this film or excited about it or people should be talking about it more than they are. But again, yeah, it's a, you know, she's a girl and that just makes it so hard, so complicated and I just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> it's <insane. And> so <laughs> bewildered. And the crazy right. thing is, it's just like, <laughs> Um, the crazy thing is it's like, you know, people might hear about it, like, not in the first weekend, but maybe, like, week, week two or three. But, you know, studios really take into consideration the first week. Um, and so, but it has such a soft, a soft strategy, a soft marketing strategy around it that it's just like, you know, I, I worry about the, that first week sale. I mean, that first week ticket sale because I'm just like, well, I, I don't think anybody knows it's coming out. I literally just found out like three weeks ago. I'm just like, oh, this is like, this is coming out <laughs> next week. That's yeah. weird. It is. It really is. Um, and again, I feel like it just shouldn't be that hard. Like on a basic level, Gal Gadot mm-hmm. is beautiful. Like she is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She is stunning. Like I feel like mm-hmm. They should be, not that they shouldn't use it, but I think they're missing out on, like, these little dudes who love these films. Like, she's hot. <laughs> like, this mm, very, very right. hot girl in the film. <laughs> like, why? Mm-hmm. I don't understand what's mm-hmm. so hard about, like, what's so hard about this. I don't, I don't get it. It's right. mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, even that, if they want to go the the, the sexist route, which is something that they're very comfortable doing generally, <laughs> you know, they, they haven't even done that. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this is actually when we can use that, and you're not even playing that. Right. Um, that's yeah. what you do. You can't even capitalize on that, the fact that he's gorgeous. Like, we're just going to pretend like it's not happening, and they're going to be shocked if no one wants to see him. Like, that's just... It's it's a setup. <laughs> the whole thing just reeks of a setup. Like, like they're not. Yeah, even yeah, they're and it's funny. Even. So, Patty Jenkins, who's the director behind it, 
Like, so I, I started following her only so I can like hear about it sometimes <laughs> because I'm just like, remind me when it's coming out again. Cause I feel like I don't hear about it unless I directly plant myself in the space where these, like I follow Gal Gadot, I follow Patty Jenkins. And I feel like if I don't, I would never hear about anything. <laughs> so, and, you know, every so often, particularly Patty Jenkins has been, like, sharing some things. But I'm just like, wait, is Patty Jenkins running her own marketing strategy around it? <laughs> like, she's doing this by herself because nobody else is supporting this. This is crazy. And Patty Jenkins is a legit director. I mean, I loved, um, you know, just like many, many male filmmakers. I mean, women filmmakers out there, doesn't they don't, they don't get as much opportunity as they should. But um, I loved Monster. Um, really yeah. loved Monster and she directed that um, so you know just hoping wishing and hoping right it's crazy yeah like you said it's not like this is some new unknown director like maybe they can direct maybe they can't we don't know we're just going to see like this is an established <laughs> director here so I don't understand I don't understand what the issue is it's, it's kind of Again, it just reeks of a setup. <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy mm-hmm. theorist, but it's like <laughs> you're not. They're not trying at all. We've given them an the entire marketing campaign on the phone in 30 minutes. You know, like <laughs> they, they're <laughs> that they're just for whatever reason, which we know is sexism. That they're not doing it at all. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's annoying. Very annoying. Yeah. Very worried about that. I mean, I definitely, now I feel almost like, like I really need to watch this <laughs> on opening day. Um, right. Because, like, it, because, like, there's not, there's just not enough information. I, I was shocked the other day. And that's how I found out about the release date, like, two weeks ago when I was watching something else. And I was like, oh, my gosh, a commercial. Then I was like, wait, this is next week though how did this come up so fast um but yeah i would i mean again i usually see these commercials if it's coming out next week i would have seen them starting in january every single day yeah it's crazy but we will see hopefully january i mean i keep saying january june 2nd (laughs) people will support and it will it will do well um, but we're going to move on to our next segment. I think we have our caller on the line. Let me see. Hello? Hey. Hey. Hi. So, we have Gina Prince Blackwood on the line. Uh, welcome to Cinnamon Y, Gina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Shots Fired. Uh, we are huge fans of the show. Um, we are. Super, super excited to talk to you today. So we're going to talk about the show a little bit, and then we'll can talk about some other things. But we want to jump right in to Shots Fired because the first nine hours have occurred already. So many emotions I have gone through watching this show, like, and we talked about it a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I, I I cry. I love it. I really love these characters. <laughs> these characters drive me insane. I think I love the one minute, and I'm like completely perplexed <laughs> by the, the next minute. So, what made you want to tell this story and bring it to television? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, you know this topic 
subject, honestly, it kind of came out of nowhere in terms of the opportunity. Um, But this, you know, what was happening and what continues to happen between law enforcement and our community, I mean, it was something that has really been a huge conversation in our house. We have two boys, and it was really after the Zimmerman trial where he was found not guilty for the murder of Trayvon that, you know, trying to explain to our boys, um, it was impossible, and, and we felt like we didn't want to be on the sidelines. We wanted to, you know, just just have a voice, and we felt the best way for us being artists was was to uh, use our art. And we were thinking about doing a screenplay, um, really about what was going on. And then Ferguson happened, and out of the blue, Fox reached out because they wanted to do a show that was dealing with what was happening in America at that time. And for them to want to do a show like that was kind of shocking and, and that um, mm-hmm. I could do anything I wanted and tell the story anyway. So I came home, talked to Reg, and we just said, hey, this is an opportunity to tell the story, not in 90 minutes or two hours, but 10 hours. Um, and if we think of it just as a 10-hour film, we can tell the story in depth and and really try and give a view from every seat in the house and and really try and figure out, you know, how we can use our art as a weapon and, and force some change. And so that's, that's really how it came about. Oh, wow. So once you decided on the story or came up with a story, how did you come up with this character of Ash, who, to me, I love, like I said, I love her some days. Some days she is like, <laughs> Mom, I was like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> how did you this all research? How did you come up with Ash? Yeah, I mean, well, foremost, um, when we agreed to do the show, for us, you know, when you think about these kind of shows, normally it would be, you know, if they allow you to have one black lead, then the other lead needed to be white. And we came in saying we wanted two black leads, male and a female, who have two totally different perspectives. Um, which I don't think is something we get to see often in television, mm-hmm. and, and no one ever balked at that, which was great. So now with Ash, we there's a ton of research that we did, um, but and really these two women in particular, one is a DOJ investigator who did basically what Ash did, where she started out young in the in on the streets and then was plucked by the DEA to go undercover in cartels and. Um, you know, the stuff that she's seen, it just changed her, and, and she really has a perspective that people are born bad and they have to be taught to be good. And we thought that that was kind of a fascinating thing to give to a female character. Um, and in addition to be able to deal with what happens with women in law enforcement, that not only are you dealing with the stress that any person in law enforcement is dealing with, but then you're a female and a black female, so the sexism and racism that that you've had to deal with. Um, one of the women we interviewed, she was a 20-year vet of the LAPD, and she told us the story of the entire first year on the force. She had a white partner, and he did not talk to her for an entire year in the car. Um, wow. He was trying to force her out. He did not want a black woman on the force. So, you know, what that would do to someone's psyche and mentality is all stuff that we poured into ass and I mean, sometimes we joke, it's kind of funny if, you know, Monica from Love and Basketball, she got divorced, went to law enforcement and, um, you know, 
started having issues, it, it kind of feels like an option mm-hmm. of that kind of, you know, tough, cool female character. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because you mentioned Monica from Love and Basketball, which um, was one of your movies with Tanah Lathan. What was it like kind of getting back into that rhythm with her working on a project? These characters are completely different. Um, but how was it like, you know, kind of reconnecting with her and working together on this series? Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, Red and I had her in mind when we were writing, um, and honestly, it was that line, "I'm every guy's type." It's like who can who can pull that line off? Like yes. who can say that and have a swagger <laughs> and, and believe it. And you know, we knew what Sonata's work ethic was. So you know, with Love and Basketball, that was my first film. That was her first lead. There were so many crazy emotions going into that. We were not friends during the filming because, you know, the whole process and her getting the gig, she had never played ball before. I grew up playing ball, and I had said early on I would never cast somebody who couldn't play because um, <laughs> I hate seeing women in film or TV and they're supposed to be athletic and they can't run or they can't punch or <laughs> certainly, you know, can't shoot. But she trained so hard and so long um and she earned the part, but it was a grueling process. And, you know, again, we laugh about it now, but it was, you know, it was it was tough on her. So it was such a different dynamic now. Um, after that film, we became really good friends and then the disappearing acts, and, and we've been wanting to work together, but it just hasn't worked out. And, and then we just thought about this character and who could embody this character, who would put the work in. And so now I absolutely came to mind. We been fortunate to see all her theater work, which most people don't have the opportunity to see. I mean, Sanaa is such a dope actor, trained, can do anything, and I just don't think Hollywood has given her the opportunity to really show off her chops. So it was exciting to know what this character was, what her arc was going to be, and and to be able to give Sanaa this opportunity to, to kill it. And I mean, she and I, because we're friends, we still have the director-actor dynamic but it's influenced by our friendship. So, I mean, we talk shit to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're on the outside looking in, you would think that we were out of our minds. Um, you, know, <laughs> I think, you know, if I say I need another take and she'll say, no, that was perfect. You know, and I can say, no, that sucks. Do it again. And, you know, we have that kind of thing, but it's built on absolute mutual respect. You know, she knows I think she's dope and, and vice versa. Yeah, I think we, that kind of comes across the mutual respect that you two have for each other because, again, like this character, you could love her, you could hate her, but we can tell that, you know, you're rooting for her and the people who write for her yeah. are rooting for her, but it's just, she's just so complex that it's not black and white. You know, we like things to be so black and white mm-hmm. and so that we can understand them, and it, she is not that character. She is so complex, so all over the place, and I just love this seeing it, and I'm so glad we've gotten that opportunity to kind of follow her through this, this 10 hours as opposed to, like you said, a two-hour movie or a 90-minute movie, so it's it's really awesome. I love it so much. Um, no, I'm going to talk to that. Candace. Oh, thank you. I'm going to let Candace ask her questions but next. Hi, Tina. Hey. Thank you again for, <laughs> for joining us. Um, so just piggybacking off of what Kim was already saying um, about Ash, one, I just love the fact that she's flawed. I love that she's she makes decisions, and I'm just like, literally, I think it was last week or was it the week before, I was just like, 
God damn it, this happened, <laughs> and I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but it's so funny, like, the, the, the um, Sunday right before that show, I said on this podcast, I was like, I hope they don't hook up. I hope they don't hook up. And then it just was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then it happened. I was just like, oh, damn. <laughs> but I, I like that I have that visceral reaction that I feel like I want to protect these characters even when I they're doing things that I don't want them to do. And that is um, – that's just an asset. I think that um, I would hope that any director would want um, – and I'm just looking at somebody's Twitter question. I had asked whether, or we had asked whether um, any of our followers had questions. And so um, one question was from one of our followers. Um, he said, he asked, was there any hesitation in making Ash so hard and screwed up? These are his words. And he said, <laughs> he, he's not sure whether he, um, he, he's not sure whether he likes her as a character and, whether that is at all of significance to you or is that important for you to make likable characters? I mean, for me, I love Ash. Um, mm-hmm. And you feel, you know, Red and I in, in arcing out her character, I mean, what was most important, she's obviously a flawed character, but at her core, she wants to do good and she is seeking justice for the death of these boys and I feel at Mm -hmm. the end of the day you root for that and you root for somebody like that and we wanted to make sure Mm -hmm. that everything she does it comes out of character and she is a flawed character she has issues she needs help and what we found really interesting what what we wanted was you know the very beginning in the pilot when she throws that vase it was so fascinating to see how many people on social, we're cheering that and excited, and she's a badass, mm-hmm. and you couldn't talk mm-hmm. to my child like that. I would do the same thing. But as you go through these mm-hmm. nine and, and next week, ten hours, you understand, wow, something that seemed really cool and badass, you actually understand there's some damage and issues behind that. And, and to just throw a vase at somebody is not cool, and it, it's not mm-hmm. the way that, that we should really be behaving and, and that she actually needs help. And so been loving that arc and, and seeing most people coming along in that journey and, you know, the fact that she uses alcohol and sex to protect mm-hmm. herself and to forget um, because so much of her insides are messed up. Um, it's not always easy sometimes for people to go along that ride, but because it's coming out of real research and real character, um, you know, it's it's interesting to us as writers and, as I said, Reg and I, we, we love Ash and, and feel protective of her, and ultimately we feel when you finish these 10 hours, you're going to respect her. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I I already respect her, so I totally I appreciate that response. And I know, um, so I'm live-tweeting as you're also live-tweeting each episode, um, mm-hmm. And I always feel like I, you're, like, revealing some really interesting information in each, like, <laughs> literally every scene. And and so my question is how much of what happens on the show or what particular decisions the characters make or how they make it, or even if it's, like, quotes from the show, how much is that is taken from your own, like, personal experiences? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Red and I, I mean, it all starts with, research and starts from a personal place 
Um, we just feel that that's how you do work that's authentic. And uh, we spent two weeks, uh, we called it Shop Fired University, and we put all our writers mm-hmm. through it. And it was a series of speakers that came to talk with us. Um, we had Eric Holder, which was phenomenal. Um, and, uh, Wanda Johnson, the mother of Oscar Grant, a young man that was killed up in Northern California by police. Um, we had Ray mm-hmm. Kelly, you know, former police commissioner in New York, and we had mm-hmm. law enforcement. And it was for our us and for our writers to hear the truth and hear it from different sides and even from people we don't agree with. Um, and mm-hmm. so everything that we wrote, even these two cases that you're following, these two mysteries, which will be resolved on Wednesday, I mean, it all comes from real life and real life uh, events. Um, and that was important to us because we're dealing with a real subject that affects all of us in a real deep way. And we knew we had a responsibility to be real and authentic. And and as you said, on top of that, this is stuff that we've dealt with. We have two boys. Mm-hmm. Red grandfather was a police officer, um, but his grandfather's mm-hmm. the one that told him what to do when you get stopped by a racist cop. And it's happened to Reggie a couple times. Mm-hmm. And also with our son in the car. So, you know, it... it, mm-hmm. it it was important to come from that real place in hopes that we can spark some change. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, one of the many things that I like about the show is, other than Aisha Hines, who we can talk about later, <laughs> I can talk about her all the time. <laughs> I love her. Um, but one of the things I thought was particularly interesting is the impetus of the narrative is a white male victim in the South. Wanted to know what your like. Why did you choose to tell the story from from that using that as a gateway to the narrative? Mm-hmm. So let's say um, gateway is an interesting word. I mean, the show is about two kids that were murdered, one black and one white. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So part of the reason of flipping the narrative, we wanted to tell these two stories, um, but we also again spark with Zimmerman. We were shocked by how many people were spending him money to help with his legal mm-hmm. fees, but people were sympathizing with this guy who killed a kid and then not sympathizing with this black boy, um, which mm-hmm. was shocking to us because when we looked at Trayvon, we saw our our son, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. so we felt the, the whole mantra of bring somebody into your world so that you can lead them out. So let's give folks that do not understand what we go through, um, a character they can recognize and empathize with and understand what we go through. Um, but at the same time, mm-hmm. in dealing with two murders of a, a black boy and a white boy, we can also one deal with the real issues that we deal with when one of our own is killed um, in an unjust way, mm-hmm. but also how the, how the audience, how uh, law enforcement deal with these two cases differently, strictly based on race. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And another thing that I really loved about the show is um, the role of the church in the mm-hmm. South. And, I, and, and well, the role of the church in this particular narrative, which I don't think I've seen it quite like this in um, modern small screen narratives. Why was mm-hmm. that important for you to put that in there? It was important because there was a clear shift after Ferguson um, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the role of the church and 
how there were some kind of the the older folk who who only seemed to come in when the cameras were around, as opposed to those mm-hmm. who were on the ground really doing the work. Um, and there was a clear distinction between the two and a conflict between the two. I mean, we really mm-hmm. wanted to showcase that. Uh, but the other thing that was important, Aisha Hines' character, Pastor Janae, she, in the original script, she was a guy. And uh, wow. we uh, we were trying to find the actor, and we, we auditioned a ton of people, and some were really good, but it did not feel right. And then Red came across a, a photo of Winnie Mandela. We just started talking, and then we started thinking about, you know, in the civil rights movement, how so many women were instrumental, but they were pushed to the side. And then mm-hmm. um, look at Black Lives Matter movement, and who was at the forefront of black women? And we thought, you know, mm-hmm. let's be able to infuse this character with all of that um, and that narrative and, and really illustrate this new shift. That's happened, and that's really how Pastor Janae was born. Wow. Oh, I love that. And how did you arrive at Aisha Hines, and how has it been, like, working with her? And I know that we are at least my Twitter feed. Like, anytime she comes on the, on, on the screen, we're just like, oh, my gosh, she's back. She, she, she's, she's incised with such a, this, such a really – one reaction or just a reaction that we want to see more of her just all the time. Um, one, because well, first of all, she has been great for years and I'm glad that she's yep. now part of the conversation. Because <laughs> um, I feel like I've been talking about her for a long time. So I feel yep. like when I heard that she was going to be a part of it, I thought it was just a huge coup. Um, so if you can talk a little bit about casting her and how that has been. And so Reggie and I first saw Aisha Hines in the TV show called Detroit 187. And mm-hmm. the first second we saw her, we were like, who is that? Like, she was just so <laughs> different from anybody on TV. And uh, we just mm-hmm. kept an eye on her. And then, um, crazily enough, if that's a word, um, we've <laughs> cast her three times now. Uh, Reggie cast her in Gun Hill, and I cast her in Beyond mm-hmm. the Lights, and then... Uh, now obviously shot fired. All three of the characters that she's played were originally written as men, um, and uh, I don't know what it is, but there, she has such a presence and a power and a distinction. And as you said, you just want to watch her. And mm-hmm. when we decided to flip Pastor Janae to to a female, she was the only person we wanted and she was locked up in another show that hadn't gotten picked up yet, but she was still under contract. And we were told from mm-hmm. the outset that you can't get her out. No, don't even try it. But you know, as creators, if you know somebody is right in your gut, you kind of, you can't let it go. And so we reached out mm-hmm. to Aisha and, um, you know, look, this is the character and it's authentic to Aisha. She was very much into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and she heard the character, and it was on her side, I got to play this woman. So it was both of us coming together and then really pushing Fox and, and her agents pushing. And it was a tremendous thing to be able to get her out of the other contract. It took months. Um, but finally it was because the desire was so strong on both our sides mm-hmm. to get work. And thank God because she just embodies this character so beautifully. And we really... Like, we let her make it her own. We took her to the the uh, location that was going to be Chosen House, 
and it was on her. We asked her, do you want pews, do you want chairs, what what quotes should be on the wall, <laughs> do you want? Like, we let her make it her own. Um, and those extras that are in the church, they're all people from the neighborhood, and we decided to go that way um, oh. in casting background just because we wanted that authenticity. And those folks, they just kept coming back because, it was almost like a real flock, and that last day of shooting, mm-hmm. uh, people were crying, and she was crying because it was just, mm-hmm. it, it felt real, and uh, she does that. She's that good. She's exquisite. <laughs> She's really exquisite. That is also what I would say about um, Dewanda Wise. She's yes. also amazing in it. Um, tell me a little bit about that. And it's funny, mm-hmm. I I was not very familiar with her work before. And so when I started seeing her, when I when she appeared on Shots Fired, I was like, who is this? Why don't I know yep. more about her? So I'm I'm I've now become obsessed. Now, Dewanda is great, and she has auditioned for both Reg and I. She says eight times. I'm gonna say three, but and hasn't got the part. <laughs> But there was always something about her where we kept having to come back because we knew we knew she was special. She just wasn't right yet. And then she came in for Shots Fired and, and auditioned for the role of Carrie, uh, Beck's wife. Mm. And she was really, mm-hmm. really good. And Rex and I like looking at her, and we said, you know what? Can you take these sides and go out with character Shamika and come back in? And literally 10 minutes we worked on it, came back in, and rocked us. She brought such a dignity yes. and depth to that character, and it was a wrap. There was nobody could touch her, and um, it was just that that thing of we knew she was dope. We were just waiting for the right moment, and um, the relationship she had with the young actor who plays her son, Sean. It was just real. She makes everything mm-hmm. real. You just want to write for her because you know she's gonna kill it. The other actors used to mm-hmm. love working opposite her or just watching her work because she's so good. And mm-hmm. it's very cool to see. It's like she did Shots Fired, and then she got Underground, and then she got mm-hmm. – she's got a – like her trajectory now suddenly is crazy, and uh, it's deserved. She's really, really good. She is. She is. Um, and I'm just – happy to see her and I hope she continues to flourish um, and get yeah. more roles that are as prominent um, who we haven't really talked about and who um, our followers continue to ask about is the relationship between Ash and Preston um, one particular um, follower had asked um, the, their, their relationship is so compelling and engrossing what inspired the pairing um, it was one a both black one who was completely pessimistic about the world and about law enforcement having been in it, knowing the levels of corruption that existed, um, and pairing that mentality with somebody who is optimistic about the world that likes to believe in a post-racial uh, America mm-hmm. and is arrogant enough to believe that that he is above racial politics. Um, and mm-hmm. put the, these two energies together and see which one wins out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who, whose pull will pull the other uh, towards them. So it was just a fascinating thing. And um, so we, we knew where they were going to go over these 10 hours. And, again, very excited about the finale. 
Um, but it was also then, mm-hmm. we, like I said, when we were writing that we wanted to knock, and we had identified Stefan early on as well um, as somebody we wanted. And uh, it wasn't until we put them together, like you, can, you can't manufacture chemistry. And mm-hmm. we put them together, and there was that crackle that just gets you mm-hmm. excited. And it's very fascinating to see not only those two as characters and their trajectory, but those two as actors kind of followed it as well because they had never met before. And, uh, you know, we joke about it, but in the, very, in the pilot, I remember we were doing a scene where they walk up to the police station for the first time and they walk through the doors and um, the son didn't hold the door, or I'll say Preston didn't hold open the door for us. <laughs> And I went up to Stefan, I'm like, this you know, the way you were raised, all the hold the door. He's like, I don't like her. No. Um, to be that in it, whereas, you know, by the end, it's a totally different energy. And, and those two are great, great friends now. Um, and it was really reflected in the arc of the characters. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we have said or you have said a number of times during um our conversation about it being 10 hours and i'm mm-hmm. i'm i am i'm embracing that <laughs> but <laughs> i know a lot of folks um including myself i mean we were i mean i i just love the show and i was hoping that there would be another possibility to do a whole new season maybe the the actors playing different roles or maybe the same to uh, lead characters um, investigating a whole new series. Was it always planned for just this one season? Um, yeah, I'll just start there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. what we went in. It was when we gave them the script, it went straight to series, which was amazing. Um, and they said, let's make this a 10-hour special event series. So um, that's mm-hmm. what we went in to do. The only reason we got Sanat, who had said, over and over, she'd never do network television because she didn't ever want to get lost. And I mean, we got her because it was a one, you know, a one-off. And uh, mm-hmm. and this story that we wanted to tell, and you know, props to Fox, they 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 put this on and never told us we went too far. Or, um, it, it's mm-hmm. been great. So, you know, the hard thing is we've got this finale left, and like these characters are real to us, so it, it is very hard to say goodbye. Um, the reality is I have a movie um, that I'm about to do, and Reggie does too. So, oh, um, okay. Um, but, you know, in a year, could we come back and, and possibly do something? Um, it's just a matter. We know where we would go. We would keep the, mm-hmm. the characters, Preston and Ash, because the nature of their job is to go around uh, the country and mm-hmm. investigate different civil rights violations. So we would mm-hmm. probably maintain that um and we would you know maybe in a year or so um maybe it's something that we would come back to do and again fox has been great and you know we would just sit down and and see if everybody wants to do it again i would love to see it again that's just my vote (laughs) 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 um my final question is if you can tell us anything about what we can expect at least emotionally from the finale that would be appreciated <laughs> well I mean I'll say a, a couple things um, mm-hmm. foremost 
but it's very cool, probably, you know, more so for Reg and I. The finale lands on our uh, 19th wedding anniversary. So, oh, um, congratulations. Thank you. So it's just kind of a beautiful thing that we, you know, we met on a different world, and we kind of, we connected and became best friends because of the shared belief in, in the power of, of art and the fact that now, 19 years later, you know, we – we're doing this together. It's just a, a very cool thing. We um, screened the finale to go in New York uh, for a special event, and I've seen it a ton of times, but seeing it with an audience, I actually teared up. Um, mm. It is, I mean, it's powerful. Reggie co-wrote with Marissa Joe Sarar, and he directed it. And it is, uh, I mean, it's it's so good. It's, I mean, it's it's a lot, um, but it's important mm. that we we wanted to one give an ending so that an audience isn't left hanging. You do find out the the answer to really it's three mysteries now, um, but also mm. it was important for us that we didn't just use these ten hours to vent. But there has to you know mm-hmm. besides the whole theme of where do we go from here, it was very important mm-hmm. to us. So you know not only presenting the the endings of this, but but hopefully giving us as a people, a, a bit of a roadmap of what, what we can do at this point. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow. I did a couple um, more questions. Um, the music, I know all of your projects, music plays heavily into it. You know, I still listen to the Love and Basketball soundtrack. Um, <laughs> and I know you have like some original <laughs> songs for this film. So how, I mean, for this um, series, so when you mm-hmm. were creating, did you know how influential or how significant the music would be in this story? Oh, absolutely. From from Jump, um, Reg and I um, hooked up with a music supervisor that we've worked with before, Jabari Ali, and spoke to him and spoke to Fox about how we wanted to use music and, and songs for score, which is something that we do in our films as well. I mean, it's amazing what a great song can do in terms of furthering the story or elevating the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he created a writer's room for for the music and brought together eight songwriters and singers, and, um, and they created together a lot of the uh, original music for the show. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just great to, to be able to have that, where you can write a scene and, and then people at the same time are writing a song that, that they think will help. Um, and so it's that, and then also it's just fun to just, like I heard um, Sad News uh, by Swiss Beast, that was in Hour 8, um, and Scarface, I had happened to just hear it mm-hmm. online, they had just stuck it out um, after, I think it was after Tamir Rice, I think, was killed, mm-hmm. and uh, I just heard it, and it just spoke to me emotionally, um, and it spoke to the show, and but it hadn't out in a big way, and so I was reaching out to Swizz and saying, hey, can we use your song? And, you know, we were familiar with him, and he's like, you know, we, I know what you're doing and what you guys are doing with the show. So, yeah, and, you know, getting songs like that where they weren't charging us a ton of money because they believed in the vision of the show, and that, that was really cool. Awesome. Yeah, the music is just it's, it's so perfect. Like you're you're watching the scene, and you can hear the song, and you're like, you can tell it was tailor made for yes. your scene that it goes with. It's, it's actually kind of perfect. Um, the last question I have: um, I was born and raised in North Carolina. I know you mm-hmm. filmed the series here in North Carolina. 
Um, yes, it's such a complicated. Yeah, North Carolina is such a complicated state. I mean, I love where I'm from. I love my home, but it's a lot going on. I feel like during the time you were filming this, you know, a lot of people were boycotting the state because of the bathroom bill, and then we had the police shooting in Charlotte. So, what was the experience like filming this this particular show in North Carolina? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we did uh, once we to do it. We were already shooting when that bathroom bill came through, so mm. you know, if it's gone through before, then we wouldn't have been there. And um, we were deciding between Baton Rouge, and Charlotte, uh, which is kind of crazy because obviously both had uh, incidents with cops shooting unarmed men. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, for what we wanted to do, the look, the, the feel of it, you know, for us. We thought of this show as was like an autopsy of Ferguson, and so we wanted that feel, and also the fact of just showing a part of America that you don't normally see on television. Um, it was the crew was was great. We had a very diverse crew, which you know very important to Reg and I that it reflects you know the people in front of the camera. Um, and film mm-hmm. commission was great. We got to shoot everywhere we wanted. Um, on the flip side, it was it was tough. It, it is tough when you don't grow up that way to um, driving to work every day, passing Confederate flags just hanging everywhere, you know, on people's mm-hmm. houses and flags. There was just a normalcy to it that just like it just it just sticks with you. So then when you get on set and you're shooting, it seems like you have this anger in you, um, and and you wonder like how do people see that every day? Um, and not just want to go to the house and, and pull it off and, you know, I would have these thoughts about doing that, but then I was like, I'll probably get shot, you know, because I'm on so much property. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was, that was the tough part of it, but it kind of fueled, again, what we were trying to say with the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know a couple of people who, you know, worked with you all on the set, and so they enjoyed the experience so much. But um okay. <clears throat> Yeah, they did. They they loved it. And I was like, why didn't you people call me and bring me? But I'm not bitter. (laughs) (laughs) This show is just so timely and so needed. And I've been a fan of yours since Love and Basketball. And I just want to say that I appreciate um, you bringing the show to Fox, to the network television. It's been an amazing nine hours. I'm sure the 10th hour is going to be amazing. Um, super sad that it's not, you know, going to be continuing, but I understand that, you know, it was a limited series, so that's awesome. And I appreciate you for calling in and talking to us. Um, I appreciate you spending with us so much. Um, And thank you for listening to the show. I know you reached out on Twitter and told us that you listened when we um, talked about it the last show. So super appreciative of you and your time, and thank you so much. No, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you guys. I mean, you guys are doing something that, that nobody else is doing. You guys clearly love film and TV, and you're talking mm-hmm. about it from our point of view, and, and we need that. We need to know that there's support out there. So we, you know, it's tough to get stuff made, and, and it's inspiring when you know that people are feeling it. So thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. All right, y'all. Bye. See you on Twitter. Bye. Bye. See you on Twitter. <laughs> That was awesome. Uh, that I mean, was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you with me that it was only intended to be the 10 hours. I know my Twitter timeline was hot. Like, I'm surprised yes. they had box already. How dare you? Yes, but um, yeah, it's so funny when because I. 
because people were saying that it was canceled, and I was just like, wait a damn minute, like, like I need to know what the conclusion of this is. What are y'all talking about? And and then they were just like, oh, you know, so now I just like kind of like threw down a gauntlet. She was just like, you know, um, be clear, this was only ever intended. We were not canceled. We just completed the season. <laughs> So I was like, "Where? Thanks for the correction. <laughs> the narrative needs to be corrected across the board because <laughs> I saw shots fired and canceled come up many a time. I, you know, I'm in my feelings about it because I just feel like there's so many other things that that they can possibly do. But I'm glad to hear that um, both, you know, Gina and Reggie are working suddenly or got projects lined up. Um, and yeah, so I'm happy. You know, I'm 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 interested to hear or, or see what that's going to turn out to be. And I um, am also I appreciate the fact that she said that she already knows where the the series would pick up if they pick it up again. Yes, that is good to know. Mm-hmm. So there, there's mm-hmm. hope there. You know, a little bit of hope there. Mm-hmm. You know what? I can <laughs> totally deal with a spinoff with Pastor Janae too. Like. I feel like that ah, character is yeah. her own series. I would watch it. I would mm-hmm. live tweet it. It would be amazing. So it's just something to think mm-hmm. about. Put it out there in the universe. <laughs> See where it goes. You know, it, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Even the fact that they that she said that she was originally supposed to be played by a guy, and even you know what that looks like. And we haven't, or at least that I can recall, have ever seen a show um, from the perspective of a black woman pastor and one like her she's quite unconventional and you know mm-hmm. most of my church like life is in the south is in south carolina and mm-hmm. i have never seen a pastor like Pastor Janae. one all of them were men um and right. two like they were very very conservative she she's like somebody else <laughs> yeah I think that first episode I tweeted, I want to go to Pastor Janae's church. Like, I will be there on Sunday. <laughs> That's big for me. I would be there. <laughs> I would totally be there. Exactly. Exactly. She's great. Yeah. It's such a great cast. I know. I know. I feel like we could talk about the cast, and we have, like, all day. Like, that could just be all, all we talk about because they are so amazing. All of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we are out of time. We went over a little bit, but it was well worth it. Again, our sincerest mm-hmm. appreciation to Gina Prince Blythe for calling in and talking to us about Shots Fired, the series finale or series finale, depending on how you're looking at it, um, is, airs mm-hmm. on Wednesday at 8 o'clock, and we will be live tweeting. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you all for listening. And, oh, this is our, our last show for the summer. We will be doing our Twitter chats monthly in June, July, and August. But our podcast, we're taking a little bit of a break. So this is it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect way to end. Like, it doesn't get any better than, than this. I, I know. It's a great way to kick yeah. off. <laughs> it is. So we will, like I said, but we will just keep out um, on the Twitter page for when we will be doing our Twitter chats. We're still going to keep those up during the summer. So you all enjoy the rest of your week, and thank you for listening. Happy Sunday. Sunday.